0: Welcome to Life, Love & Hustle, the podcast that uncovers the story behind the stories of entrepreneurs, artists, and activists making an impact in their business, community, and the culture. Join us for these intimate conversations with ordinary people working to do extraordinary things and hear their journey through struggle, triumph, growth, and change. Now, here's your host, Chad Smith. Welcome back to the Life, Love, and Hustle show with your boy, Chad Smith, and I'm here with Serena McCann-Apia right here. She is the founder, um, CEO, boss lady of Thrift Diving, and uh, I'm so proud of her. I've known her for a long time. We met back in high school, and uh, she went from being a super cool, super cool high school girl to being uh, one of the top DIY um, bloggers and uh, podcasters in the space, and I'm so happy to have her here today. How are you?
1: Hey, Chad, what's going on,
0: man? If I got any better, I'd be you. <laughs> I can't be that good.
1: Oh, but <laughs> you've you've always been good. You've always been good. You're and you're working your way up to greatness. Oh, and you're not only there.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, listen, went to greatness, came back down to okay, trying to get back to greatness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, but that's the process of life. That's what you do. You, you know, you try different things. You you're starting this this new podcast now, and you're trying new things. And and you're doing what you do best is helping people and inspiring people. That's what you do.
0: I try to do those kinds of things. You know, yeah. I try to be a decent human being. You know,
1: Jeff, you, you definitely are.
0: <laughs> so enough about me. I'm talking about you right now. So awesome. Let's talk about me met back in high school uh we had some good times had some had some memories you were part of uh, part of my little friend circle and um uh it's it's funny um we haven't really seen each other a lot, like off and on since high school, uh, mm-hmm. but I've watched very closely what you've been doing and I wanted to talk to you about it because it's really cool seeing the beginning of your journey uh, to where you are now. And so how did you even get into the space of the, uh, of do it yourself?
1: Oh, that's a great question. You know, when I think back to what I've been doing, really my whole it, adult life is I've been creating The entire time. And, you know, I'll give you the short story of it, because I could go back a little further. But back in 2010, when we bought a house, we literally, Chad, we spent all of our money buying the house, we literally forgot that we needed to decorate the house that we needed to do repairs in the house. So what happened is we moved in. And shortly after we Found out we were pregnant with baby number three. So not only did we have like another child who was going to go to daycare, we had this home that needed furniture, and it was an outdated home. It was built 1973, which I know some people's homes are much older than that, but when you walk into a 1983, a 1973's home, and it's the original homeowners that just, well, no, I don't think they were the original homeowners, but they. They were old enough to be the original homeowners. Let's put it that mm. way. Everything was outdated. The bathtubs, the toilets were avocado green. There was wallpaper. Oh, all here, avocado green. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. My shower stall was like this turquoise. <laughs> Everything was outdated. And that was the least of our problems. The thing is, is we had a two-bedroom condo. So we went from a two-bedroom condo into a four-bedroom house. And as I mentioned, the only thing that we considered was, can we afford the mortgage? Well, we didn't think about the fact that we had twice as much square footage that we needed to fill. And I've always loved thrift stores. I've always loved going to thrift stores, even when we were in the two-bedroom condo and I was pregnant. I mean, here I am, nine months pregnant, hoisting this chair, this rocking chair up three flights of stairs (laughs) (laughs) from the thrift store, paid like 10 bucks for it, spray painted it on my balcony sewed some new covers for it and even before we moved in i I was getting involved in diy projects and when we moved in i realized oh well i can go to the thrift store and buy furniture and you can paint it make it look really great and not spend a lot of money and so i started doing that and my husband would always say well hey you know i got you gotta feed the baby where are you going oh i'm going thrift diving i'll be right back you know we've all heard of dumpster diving right? We've all heard of dumpster diving. And so I would always tell them, hey, I'm going thrift diving. So, and that was 2010. And so I started doing these projects and uh, blogging about it online. I've always been a journaler. I've always been a writer. And when people started uh, putting things online in blog posts, I thought, hey, I'm going to start a blog. I had already had a blog about being a first time mom. And so for me, it was just a natural progression to start a blog and it, at that time it wasn't called thrift diving it was called from house to home. <laughs> and it was just a it was just a free little, you know, Google Blogger site where I would just document what I'm doing in the house. And 2 years after doing that consistently building up a little bit of an audience, but again it was more of a journal, it was not me trying to start a business. I realized from some of the other bloggers that I was following is that people were making money by doing this. And I thought wait a minute, do you mean for two years I've been blogging on this blog and people are making money? What? You've been
0: giving it away for free.
1: I was giving it away for free. <laughs> and Chad, I remember that night I had nursed my son, my youngest son, and I started thinking, you know, and everybody's asleep and I'm still wide awake. And I started thinking, what could I change my blog to in order to start this.com? And it just kind of came to me, thriftdiving, thriftdiving.com. And so the very next day I paid for the domain and it was available. Thank God. Nobody, (laughs) nobody was even talking about thrift diving. I did a little Google search and I think there was maybe like one search term that had come up for, I don't know, it was like urban dictionary.com or something like that. (laughs) And it said thrift diving, going to the stores, but you couldn't find it anywhere else. And I thought, okay, well, no one's really using this term, so I'm going to make it my own. And so I had to teach myself how to refinish furniture, how to build things. So over time it went from just refinishing furniture to, oh, I wanna put up crown molding. How do I use these tools in order to put up this crown molding? And I wanna build a table. Let me teach myself how to use power (laughs) tools. And so it progressively became this, this journey of how can I do more in my own home myself without having to pay someone because we just didn't have the money to hire professionals to come in or to go to the store and buy ready made furniture. We didn't. So it was part necessity, but it was also who I was. I was always a creative kid. I was always the one drawing. Uh, I was, here's a funny story. <laughs> Before I even knew how to write, this was okay, I'm going to take you back to Nolan Village. Right? Oh boy. So back in the back It in doesn't the project, even exist anymore. It, oh, wait. It does. Yeah, it it does. It? I'm thinking about no, the West does. End projects. Yeah. <laughs> No, Nolan Village in Hagerstown is, is still there. I haven't been through there in a long time, but I remember we would sit outside and I'd have these notebooks and this was before I knew how to write. And I would take these notebooks and I would fill it with what I thought was cursive writing. So it was just squiggly lines written on the lined paper and I would do notebooks just full of writing and writing and writing and writing. So I was a writer before I even knew I was a writer. It was inside of me. I was a creator, an artist before I even knew that I was an artist. Um, And so later when it became a necessity, I got to figure out how to decorate this house. I love thrift stores. Let me go buy what I can. And I can tell you that 95% of the stuff, probably even more than that, 95% of our belongings, it all came from the thrift store. Wow. Secondhand, literally everything. The only thing that I have that's not from a thrift store couple years ago, or maybe about a year and a half ago i I bought a new sofa, <laughs> the previous one we had for eighteen years, and our bed and in my bedroom, my husband and I our bed. That's it. Everything else, our dressers, our nightstands, everything has come from the thrift store, lamps. and I just i I, I love it and I inspire other people to be creative as well and go and find good quality furniture and good quality home and home furnishings without having to spend a lot of money, but then they get to cre- to, to flex their creative muscle.
0: See, I'm trying to go to the thrift stores that are like right outside their rich neighborhoods. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm,
1: no, that's I'm trying to find
0: the to high money. end, the high end thrift stores.
1: <laughs> well, let me tell you they, they do exist. And I think now because it's so popular for people to do DIY projects, a lot of these thrift stores are catching on that it's sort of the hot popular thing to do. It, it, it almost seems like it has really kind of missed the mark on what thrift stores were supposed to be about, right? It was supposed mm. to be about helping community members, people that didn't have a lot of money to go in and buy affordable furniture. And now it just seems that because it's so popular, and I think there's people, I mean, there's rich people who are still going to thrift stores, but... There are still a need. There's, there's still a need for people that don't have a lot of money to go to thrift stores and, and purchase affordable furniture. But some of these thrift stores, Chad, you go in there and a dresser will be like $250. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, okay, considering that maybe <laughs> the dresser brand new is $750. Okay, I get that. But that's still a lot of money. Right, And sometimes the quality of it may not be as great. Now, Mm. I would say most of the times the stuff that you find at the thrift stores is going to be good quality because it is usually vintage. And I say vintage, vintage means something that's less than 100 years old. Antique is something that's more than 100 years old. So you'll find a lot of vintage furniture. Some can be pretty expensive and good quality, like mid-century modern pieces. And then some is just you know something from the 80s that doesn't really have very much value but it's still good quality and you can paint it and make it look great for your home
0: i used to work at value city furniture and i learned a lot about the furniture industry and i can tell you firsthand about the profit margin in new furniture and Ooh. yeah the profit margin in furniture is crazy and if you're paying 250 at a thrift store for not a handcrafted piece of furniture or you know, what is a high-end piece of furniture you're probably paying too much. Oh yes. For sure. Oh
1: yes. Yeah. Well, and and I think this is an issue that's come up at thrift stores. Well, I don't when I say recently, it's probably been a while now, but there are the I mean these are donated pieces of furniture. These are things that people donated to you. So these thrift right. stores are not paying anything for this furniture, so why is it costing so much money? Um, now, I will tell you. I recently, I've got a podcast myself, the Thrift Diving Podcast, and I recently had the CEO of Habitat for Humanity on my podcast. And I love that organization. Habitat for, oh my gosh, Habitat is amazing. I, I'm a I'm a lead um, a lead crew member with habitat. So what that means is that because I have experience with building, I get to go to the job site. And when there are volunteers that come on site that maybe they don't have any experience, I'm the one, one of the people that gets to lead them in whatever their activities, their tasks are for the day to make sure that they're safe. And the mission of habitat is amazing because there's, there's so much, um, need for affordable housing, But anyway, one of the things that Habitat, and I know you've got one in Hagerstown, um, the Resort, and here in Frederick also. Oh, in Frederick as well. Mm -hmm. There's, I think, there's two in this area. Uh, Jeff D, who's the CEO of our local chapter here in Montgomery County, Montgomery County, Maryland, he said that last year their Habitat restores. Had brought in four hundred thousand dollars. Wow! And so that money, you know, and everybody that's there at Habitat, those are volunteers. When you walk in, they're they're volunteers. They're they're giving their time. Yeah. So Habitat doesn't have to pay them, and they're taking that money and then they're putting it into zero interest loans, home loans for people that need affordable housing. And it's not just uh, you know, it's not just someone who wants to get a quote unquote free house or a zero percent. The people that get those homes, they actually have to put hours of sweat equity,
0: right, sweat equity. <laughs> into yeah. building
1: that home. Yes. So they're they have to put in a certain number of hours of building their own home in order to get that home to be in that program. When
0: so I had my I gym, do know that there's, oh, I'm sorry. But mm-hmm. I had my gym. Um every year we went on a habitat build every year as a oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. As a I recruited as many Gym members as I could, and we, you know, we called it our Strength to Serve project. So we went and helped on one of the uh, Habitat builds.
1: Oh, I love that! That is amazing. So yeah, so sometimes thrift stores, they the prices can be expensive because I can tell you that there's times when I go into Habitat and I'm like, oh, why are they charging so much? But because I'm so committed to their mission, I understand their mission and I know the needs for the, the need for those funds. I will gladly pay it.
0: Yeah, right? because you, you know it's going price. towards good cause. It's going to help somebody else yes.
1: out. Yes,
0: not just profit for profit's sake. There's nothing wrong with profit for profit's sake, but you know, right? I, I think people, like you said, they walk into a thrift store and you make an assumption that um, it's a charitable organization.
1: Right? No, they they're actually they're actually for pro- a lot of these are for profit. Like yeah. Goodwill, I believe Goodwill is for profit. The one that I go to in Silver Spring. It's uh, value village. And I think it's all part of like the savers brand. They do donate a certain amount. Like for example, with savers, when they, when you donate clothing, they weigh the clothes and then they, they, I think they donate a certain amount of money per pound of clothes that they receive. But when they're selling your dresser that you just donated, cause you didn't want it anymore. You went and bought a new one they're making profit off of that. <laughs> You're getting the <laughs> tax write-off, you are, but they are making profit off of that. And so I just think it's it's kind of ridiculous that they market up so much, especially if they're making profit off of it, for sure. And can I tell you about a story? I, there was a story that I recently had seen where someone went into a Goodwill and I don't remember the brand. I think it was a designer brand of, of a shirt or, and I don't think it was a designer, but the shirt was listed at like 60 some dollars, right? And it was actually priced more than what the original brand new shirt was. Oh, wow. What? Get out of here. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was all over, it was all over the news and TikTok. The person who found it was like, I can't believe this. So it does, it does happen. You just have to do your research and know what you're buying and know the mission of the organization. And if you feel comfortable contributing to that.
0: Okay. So let's um let's talk about. The business side of what you're doing. So um, you're self-taught with construction and building and um, refinishing and all this kind of fun stuff. So how did you manage to segue that into an actual business?
1: Well, the the oh the one thing I want to point out is that so I am self-taught, but I also I didn't include that I did go to a two-year carpentry program at my community college. <laughs> oh wow! I did, and <laughs> it was the best thing that I ever did. It was it was so much fun um, because even though I was self-taught with you, you know using tools and refinishing and building things, I wanted to learn how to frame, and I wanted to learn to do uh, electrical wiring, and and just have that. Credibility behind my name yeah. when people would come to my site or come to my YouTube channel or podcast. Um, so, so how it transitioned into a business. Uh, so back in 2010 when I had started this, and found out in 2012 that people were making money at it. That's when uh, I changed my name, got the .com, and decided that I was going to start a YouTube channel. Now, you know, with YouTube, with blogs, the easiest way to make money. Is advertisements and these are advertisements that for YouTube there's certain requirements. I think you have to have a thousand subscribers and like four thousand hours of watch time, and that at that time it it wasn't quite so strict. All you had to do was apply for monetization, you get it monetized, and the number of views you would earn a certain number of certain amount of money off of the number of views. And I didn't have a lot of views at all. So if you go back and look at my statistics, I mean, the views were like, it was probably my mom and maybe a couple friends (laughs) watching what I did. And it's funny because that that night that I had gotten my first earnings from YouTube, it was like $2.50. And I remember meeting up with some friends and a, a, a coworker. And I was so excited. I'm like, I made my first two dollars and fifty cents, and they laughed. And I'm like, you laugh now, right? Listen <laughs> now, it, this is going somewhere. And so the advertisement was easy to set up on YouTube. My blog, it was not difficult to get the advertisements, but you had to have a certain number of page views per month. And mm. for the the company that I, the media company that I use to serve my ads is called MediaVine. There's some other ones out there. Mediavine is one of the better companies and you had to have a certain number of page views. And so what that means is that every time someone comes to my blog and an advertisement pops, well, I try not to do the pop-ups, but sometimes those actually pay the most money. Wow! (laughs) Like the little video ones, you know, when you go to websites and you see the little video one that just kind of just silently pops up in the corner. It's annoying, but- I think we
0: call it a pop under, I think.
1: So yeah, is it a pop, a pop under? under? Okay, yeah. so it's there. It's it is earning the the content creator, the website owner, money, and just know that if you, I mean, we all are kind of annoyed by it, but we know that it is a necessary <laughs> necessary evil sometimes. Um, but you know, the the idea is that the more people, the more traffic that you have to your site, the more money that you can earn from ad revenue. And so those those were really the the easiest ways for me to monetize at first. And I was working outside of the home until 2015 and I lost my job. I was a project manager for, as a government contractor and I got fired. I literally got fired. My supervisor, she hated me. And um, it kind of made me feel a little better a year later. She actually was almost going to get fired because she was such a bad manager. (laughs) So she left me. I was like, see, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. But in 2015, I started doing more brand. Collaborations. I was doing them here and there, working outside of the home, doing my night, having my nights and weekends, doing projects and working with brands here and there. But it really took off once I lost my job because then I could work on projects during the day. I could create more content. Um, I went back to some of those brands and said, Hey, I'm available now. What, What do you have? Like, let's collaborate. And so some of those brands really stepped up and helped. Bridge that really scary gap between when you, you you're not a W-2 employee anymore right. anymore to now having to earn your own money. That was a very scary time for me. And I actually had collected unemployment for a short period of time after that. But you know, during unemployment, you have to report any earnings, which I did. And I started noticing Hmm. Wait a minute. I'm actually reporting a little bit more than what I actually got from unemployment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
1: I, I had gotten this opportunity to do a talk with Ryobi. Ryobi is one of the power tools companies. Oh, okay. And, I
0: recognize that name.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and they when you go to Home Depot, they're exclusive to Home Depot. You'll see the bright orange green, not orange, but the bright green yellow bright, color. Bright green. That's uh-huh. Ryobi. So they were doing an event with the Home Depot. And they said, Hey, we're looking for someone to lead a, uh, like a demonstration at this girl's night out Home Depot event. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. And we'll pay you $8,000.
2: Hey, well,
1: I actually had to call the woman back after the call. And I said, did you say a thousand or (laughs) (laughs) eight
0: thousand?
1: She had a Southern accent. So I couldn't really, it was like, 8,000. This is 8,000. I couldn't really understand what she was saying. I said, Oh my gosh. So when I got that first check, I remember having to report that I'd received 4,000. And I said, you know, unemployment, I don't think I need you anymore. Like, yeah. thank you. This was helpful. And yes, I did look for a job because you're supposed to do that. But it really helped to bridge that time between losing my job and, and feeling like, you know what, I think I can do this. But I'll tell you, Chad, my husband did not want me to pursue this thrift diving at all. When I lost, when I lost my job, I came home and I threw my hands up in the air and I was like, yes, yes, I'm out of there. Cause I, it wasn't a happy environment. I didn't um, get along with the supervisor and things were just getting really stressful. And I told my husband, I said, give me three months. Let me, let me see if I can do this. I'm going to do the unemployment. I'll look for another job, but let me try this. And he was, he was not for it at all. He said, you need hmm. to go and get another job, another W-2 and I said, just let me try this. And I, I have not looked back. It's been eight years. This past February, 2023 was eight years. That's amazing. <laughs> and things, things have progressively gone very, very well for me. Uh, unexpectedly. I've made more money. I, I probably have made, I would say, two and a half times more working for myself than I did when I worked outside of the home. Wow. And I feel like I have to work less. That's why sometimes I say I have to fire myself because some days (laughs) I'm just like, I just want to lounge around today and just check email and just do small stuff. I don't, you know.
0: Yeah, and be on podcasts.
1: And be on podcasts (laughs) and talk to cool people like Chad. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So what would you say, what would you say um, the point in which you knew that this was what you were going to do? Uh, for, I don't want to say the rest of your life, cause you know, you never know what you'll get into, but right. it seems like you're having fun you're making money. Um, your family's behind it now. So, you know, mm-hmm. so what, what would you say where you knew that, you know what, like I'm here, this, this, this is what I'm doing.
1: I really think it was that first check, that $4,000 check. I'd never received that kind of money before doing anything related to thrift diving. It was, it was small amounts here and there. I would work yeah. with brands and do a small little sponsored thing.
0: Right on. Maybe you know, a like, couple hundred bucks, maybe.
1: Yeah, a couple hundred dollars, or maybe they'd send you free paint. Because a lot of times when you're in the, when you're a con, I don't even want to say just content creator, but from me being a content creator, there's a lot of brands that will reach out to you and they want to give you free products. Yeah. They'll give you anything. They'll give you free shoes. They'll give you uh, free paintbrushes, free wood, just so many free things. But the difference between getting a brand to give you something free and paying you, that means you're you're kind of a big deal right. if you can if you can garner um you know a contract and make thousands. And so I started raising my prices. I stopped looking at it as just a hobby. And I looked at it mm. as, well, I'm putting a lot of time, I've got value. There's, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest. I mean, there's there's YouTubers out there who have millions of subscribers who have been in the game for longer, sometimes even shorter. I've been, like I said, I've been doing this since 2012. And so there are people that come up on the scene real quick. And in a couple of years they have a million, you know, but what I have is I have engagement. I've built a community of people that have been following me for years. People that have watched my kids grow up. And so, yeah, yeah, literally like I'll post a, a video and they're like, oh my gosh, I remember when they were just babies. And so for me that feels a little bit more rich because there's there's more of a community aspect where you know they like what I do and if I decided to do something different maybe I'm not doing thrift diving maybe I'm doing like a fitness channel or something these yeah. people would probably still follow me because they like me and when I when I started learning my value that's when I started to increase my prices so then when I would do a video for a brand I would charge now I charge maybe about thirty five hundred dollars on average to do a video. and and with that, I'll do a video. I'll do a blog post, social media shares. um and and who knows? I mean, that could still be kind of low. It could, you know, maybe it's a little high because over time your your channel can grow during certain times. It can really go down. it, it there is a wave at times when you're riding this wave where everything is yeah. really good. and then things, you know like right now, my blog, views, my page views are not very good on my blog. Um, And so I kind of find that maybe I'm when it comes to my blog right now, I'm I'm kind of down and I have to do strategically do some things to kind of get things to go back up. But, you know, when you've got a community of people that like you and accept you and want to see what you're doing, brands will actually pay you for that engagement, even if you're not the biggest. So I don't... Ever claim like, oh my gosh, I don't have a million YouTube followers. I don't care because I know that when I post something, my true fans are going to show up, and we're going to have a conversation about it. And they're just and brands will pay you for that, even if and you don't have a large, large audience.
0: That's something that I was told a long time ago that it's better to have um, a smaller but ferociously loyal and engaged following than have a larger disengaged following you know so the size of your following isn't as important um as how much they actually engage with you you know so if if you have 500 regular listeners to your podcast or 500 regular subscribers to your videos who consume all the things that you do right that's that's way better than having you know a mega large following who only a small percent of that may actually watch every video you make, comment on the stuff that you do, and actually trust you enough to make a purchase from either you or from one of your sponsors.
1: Right. And when you have that kind of relationship with your with your followers, and I don't even like to call them followers because that just, I don't know, it just doesn't really yeah. sound great, but you know, with your community, right. Cause there you're building go. a community and they trust you. Like you said, they trust you. They know you, they like you, you can do anything. You can do anything. And they want, because they feel like your friend, they feel like your friend, they want to follow you. And that's attractive and that's attractive to brands as well. But it's also, it's also great to have that loyal community so that when you do want to sell to them. And I think that's an area that I've probably could do better with. I don't usually sell to my audience and I feel like I'm I'm probably missing out on a lot of additional revenue because of because of that. You know, I've always monetized by working with brands, getting the ad right. revenue and I've been wanting to do a power tools course <laughs> for some time. I've even polled my audience I have collected their email addresses asking them, hey, raise your hand and tell me when you're ready to do this Power Tools course. And when I'm ready, I'll email you. But it's, you know, that's one of the things that I'm I'm not very strong with is being able to actually put out a product and stand behind it and, and put the time into it to say, this is what I'm selling and here's why it's valuable to you. And that's that's where I struggle. That's I would say that's the weak point in my business. The strong point is my community, my ability to... Show people things that go well and things that don't go well. So, if I make a mistake doing a project, I never edit that out. I always keep it in there and I tell people, hey, this is what happened to me. This might happen to you, but if you do this, it may not happen to you. Or if it happens to you, here's how you fix it. And people appreciate that. So, I've built this credibility with my audience. And I feel like that's one thing that I do well. But one thing that I don't do well with my business is that it's just me. I do have a virtual assistant who lives in the Philippines and she does my Pinterest handling posting and, and, um, that sharing. Um, but when you're just one person, you find yourself working in the business and not working on the business. So some of those business decisions, those additional streams of income that I could be pulling in. I, I sometimes I just, I just don't focus on it because I don't have time and then you start feeling a A little, like, what if nobody wants to buy from me? (laughs) What if they don't think it's valuable? What if they can't afford what I'm putting out there? And so sometimes those questions um, will prevent me from moving forward to do the things that I think I need to do to take my business to the next level.
0: Who do you, that's funny you say that because um, I'm big on coaching. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like every business owner ought to have a coach, especially in the areas that they're, they feel like they're not as strong in, um, and then develop a team. So, um, you're familiar with the 80, 20 rule, right? Yes. The Pareto's principle. So Mm -hmm. if you focus, so 20% of what you do is going to make 80% of your success. So if you can build someone, if you build a team or you get someone to handle the 80% of your day that doesn't produce your success and you get to laser focus on that 20% that's where the magic happens. So um, mm-hmm. who do you who do you turn to to advice when you say um, I have a gap here who who are some of your mentors?
1: So I do have a mastermind group that I'm a part of. I think over the last month or so the group has kind of fallen apart a little bit. but there's a group that I would meet with. Every two weeks, and we would hold each other accountable. Hey, what's what's your plan for the next two weeks? All right, come back, make sure you've got this done. And that was working well for a while. And like most mastermind groups I've been a part of, after a while, it find you find yourself feeling like maybe it's not as valuable. I don't know why. I don't know why we tend to to let that fall. But that's generally what I've done: is get a group of like minded people who, hopefully, some of them are a little further. Some of them might be. A little behind, and then you all collectively come together and support each other. I I haven't done coaching. There's, I mean, do I have opportunities for coaches? Yes, I know so many people who are coaches, and then I look at the price and I'm like, do I really want to spend twenty five hundred dollars a month for this? (laughs) But (laughs) I can tell you, there's a woman that I had interviewed. She's I don't remember her name, but she has a company called Chair Whimsy, and she sells. Oh, she's I mean, she's doing like six figure sales of teaching people how to upholster for upholster furniture. And I interviewed her on my podcast one day and she was talking about the coaching groups that she has been a part of. And when she first got involved in them, she was paying, I don't remember the exact numbers, but over time it consistently got more to the point where now she's in like a coaching group and she would pay like $25,000. She said that was painful, but what I have learned in that group Paid me in return. I've been able to put out this product and do this and this, and so she was able to pull in like multiple six figures on selling a furniture painting course and uh, not furniture. Sorry, upholstery course. Yeah, and some of it is furniture painting as well. And when I actually had looked at that course because I was an affiliate for it after I interviewed her and she said, "Hey, do you want to be an affiliate?" I said, "Yes." So I actually did sell it to my audience. <laughs> <laughs> I sold it to my audience. And I'm like, man, they just bought a $350. Why do not why do I not have a three? That could have been
0: your course, right? Exactly. It could have been
1: my course. Because then when I actually went in and looked at what she was doing, I was like, I do this on my YouTube videos. Are you <laughs> right. kidding me? Yeah. It wasn't hard to do. And and even now, like when I think about like I know exactly what I need to do. But again, like I said, sometimes I spend so much time working in my business. That I don't work on my business, and I'll tell you, Chad. I think, I think where the, I think where the doubt comes from—not the doubt, but here's the thing: when you're used to earning your money by working with brands and doing your, uh, making sure you're getting enough traffic to your blog or to your YouTube channels, yeah, you're so worried that if you quote unquote take time off to focus on those things, like building a course or, uh, you know, doing some sort of special project that would pay you in in return for years to come, it, it feels uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable to say, you know what, I'm going to take the next 30 days and just focus on this course or this product that I want to, to do. Because it feels like if you say yes to that, you have to say no to everything else. And the things that you would say no to are the things that actually are paying you, right? Well, so if a yeah. brand comes to me... It's hard to say no, and I'll tell you because of because of the the skills that I have with being able to like I'm, I'm I'm essentially a media company. So I'll have a company, a marketing company, come to me and say, "Hey, Home Depot is looking for someone to do a couple of videos uh, for their blog." And Home Depot may already have the blog, and it could be how to reseed your lawn, how to lay sod. They'll come to me and say, "Here's what we want you to do. We want you to write a script." and then do a video, send it to us, we'll approve it, and then we're going to put it on our site. Or, hey, we've got this product, Home Depot is looking for someone to put together like a two minute product video. So I'm, I'm like a media company of one. And so those are opportunities that come up through the year. And, you know, that can be an extra $8,000 to do a video or two. So it's hard to say, nope, I'm sorry. I'm working on this course. I don't really know if it's going to succeed, but I'm going to tell you no so that I can work on my own thing. That is the part that's hard for me. And I'm still struggling with how to move forward from that because I know I have that skill of producing videos and and being able to earn money that way. It's hard to take a step back from that when you feel like you need to pay your mortgage. (laughs)
0: Well, listen, well, I know um, what my plan is for the podcast sphere is to right now it's a podcast of one. So right now I've created my own little media company. Right. But Mm -hmm. um, eventually the goal is to have a network to where I'll have other podcasters who are on my network. So we'll take care of all the marketing and promotion. All they have to do is log on and produce good content, but Mm. the revenue generated will get split. So If you got so let's just say, let's just say, um, thrift diving, let's just say you get two other bloggers on your network. They build their audience under the, um, thrift diving umbrella. Now you've got your, now you're a media company of, of, of three.
1: Mm, I like that.
0: See how that works. So you're duplicating, you're duplicating yourself. Mm. So it's not just you, but it doesn't take any more extra work on your part, um, you no, know, but you're allowing them access to your audience, and you know, and and they can and they can expand your your audience with you. Now you've got three people working on expanding the same audience, but it's under your umbrella.
1: Right, right. And I do I do know that there are some bloggers that do that, and um, in, in terms of even guest having guest writers, you know, you you've got a team of writers that. You know, and, and some of these writers are other bloggers where they're posting on your blog, and because you've got a lar- larger audience than them, they're getting access to that, and you're still getting content, but you're not having to be the one to produce all the content. Yeah. So yeah, so I think I think I sometimes lack the bigger vision and being able to navigate that and figure out, okay, how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to maintain this for another five, 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: send you an I'm gonna send you an invoice for that. By the way, that that was <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna send you an invoice for that idea.
1: <laughs> I know, right?
0: <laughs> listen, you just sent me a five dollars Starbucks card, and I'm happy. <laughs> you consider it paid for. That's fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, listen. So, what's next for you? So, what's next for Serena? What's next for thrift Ooh, diving?
1: That's a good question. Um, I, I really think for me. It's it's really even just trying to get back to the basics. Honestly, hmm. um, I really want to. I I feel like here's what I feel like has happened in the blogging industry. You know, when and I'm going to say DIY bloggers specifically, but maybe this is true for other other niches. I feel like when we all started, we all started with the with the goal of of journaling. It was basically a journal. We wanted to share with people, share our ideas. We were excited about what we created, our home. And we wanted to inspire people, right? That's those are my three pillars: create, inspire, and teach. And I feel like because of all these other things that I've been doing, the freelancing with you know working with Home Depot, and I did a video for Lotrimin. Really, (laughs) that's a foot fungus. Yes, yeah. (laughs) But but because of that, that was like an eight thousand dollar job you can't turn down an $8,000, no. you know, in video, you know what I'm saying? No. And it wasn't even thrift diving related. But when those projects come up, I feel like it takes away from what my purpose is to create mm-hmm. Inspire and Teach. And so I think what's next for me is I really want to get back to the basics. I want to get back to the old school blogging where you're sharing not just, hey, here's how my day went, but you're sharing some of those things that you feel about your home. You know, like I used to write posts about, uh, how I used to hate my home when we moved in it, you know, you thought you were getting this great home, but it turned out to be a lemon and here's all the things that are wrong with it. Mm. And I just, you know, I wish we could have moved somewhere else. And, you know, when you share those things that come from the heart, people really respond to that. They, they look for that vulnerability. And I think the industry the blogging industry, at least the DIY industry is all about how many clicks can I get? How many affiliate links can I put in here? How yeah, many yeah. like SEO words, search engine optimization words can I put in mm. here? And it becomes so Yes, you're a business, but it just starts to feel like a business. And what is a business? It's work. And so I do feel that sometimes thrift diving has felt like work because Mm. it has been about how can I get up in the search rankings and, you know, what word, what are my keywords? And you forget that you're writing to your audience, the people that, that found you because you, you know, you gave them a great tip or you were struggling with something. And I feel like I want to get back to the basics so that people still feel that, that sense of connection with me. And I think they do. I think they do. When I post, I do. Um, I, I feel like I'm a master of storyteller, you know, Mm. when I'm, when I'm putting my content out, it's about telling stories that I can relate to. And I'm telling the story of this project and how, here's what I wanted to do. And I thought that this was going to work and, oh, I can't believe I ran into this problem, but guess how I solved it. And here's what I'm going to do next. People love that story. And even though I'm always giving them that story, sometimes I feel like I've lost a little bit of that because hmm. it has become oh my gosh what are my page views like or are people liking me on social media or how many followers do i have and i never i never wanted it to be that but i know that when you're trying to monetize those things are important so right. i think for me it's really about trying to find that balance between getting back to the basics of old school blogging and you know also trying to marry that with you know the newer stuff that's out there like now everything is about tiktok well, I had deleted TikTok, TikTok because it was addicting. And then, of course, you would hear all of this stuff about the security concerns. And so that's what I'm trying to do is find this perfect marriage between getting back to the basics, but then also realizing that it is a business and you still have to change with the times. Maybe people aren't reading long blog posts, but maybe you can still have that connection uh, in you know, short form video. So that's what I I think that's kind of where I am. And, and honestly, you know, one of the things that I did several years ago that worked very well for my blog, when I noticed my traffic was starting to drop was to go back and edit old blog posts, you know, as content creators.
0: Repurpose your blog posts. Yeah, Repurpose. Yeah.
1: Yes. As content creators, we have so much good content that we did that, you know, just imagine, take your favorite musician. Just imagine if they created these amazing songs, but then they never played them again after the first two months. Right,
0: right, (laughs) right. Can you
1: imagine how ridiculous that would be? Yeah. And I think when you're a content creator, you have to you have to find a strategy for how you're gonna put new eyes on the stuff that you did that was really good. So it could be, you know, putting it in bite-sized chunks for TikTok. It could be um, sending out part of that in an email to your email newsletters. Uh, I mean, your email subscribers. Um for me, it's also going back to the blog post and putting in new links for new stuff that I did, so that you're just creating this web of search engine optimization.
2: Yeah. because
1: you have to you you do have to do those things because if you if you just touch it once and then let it go, then it just tells Google, Oh, hey, this this blog, it's nobody's really updating this anymore. Like it wants to see that you're still maintaining this, this collection of knowledge that you've put on there. And and I mean, I know that some people may say, oh, maybe blogging's dying. I, I think there are still some people that just really love to sit down and read a blog post. I know there are people on my email list who are in their 60s, 70s who just still love just reading. I read post. blogs every day, oh do you? yeah,
0: I read blogs every day i um that's part of my morning routine. I read like oh, I, awesome. I, I read three blog posts first thing in the morning, so um I get up um I meditate, I do my affirmations, I do my visualization um I exercise, and then I get my reading and in my reading is three blog posts and then i and then I get up and I start my day.
1: And what are they the same blogs or are they different blogs?
0: They tend to be because I'm a creature of habit. Like Serena, listen, I'm the kind of person who will go to a restaurant and will find one meal he loves, and that will be the only thing I eat every time I go there. <laughs> That's how I am. <laughs> so usually, I usually read, uh, <laughs> I usually read something from Digital Marketer. I read, I read something from Tony Robbins, and I usually read uh, some sort of news blog. You know, like what's going mm-hmm. on, like a news digest, maybe like an NPR news digest yeah. for the day or, or like um, CNN, five things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I, I feel you on that. I, I tend to do the same thing I have, I, and I have a collection of things that I like, and I'll just go to that location to get that thing.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, no, f- so, so yeah. So there's value, there's value in reading blogs mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe it's because we're older and I think you have to know your audience. I mean, if your audience are 25 year old millennials, uh then is that millennial i guess maybe that's gen X Gen yeah, Z I think that's Gen Z. Z right maybe Gen Z if that's your audience and maybe they they consume their content mostly through TikTok but my audience my audience tends to skew a little bit older yeah and I think on my blog it's mostly older women probably 40 and above who like to read blog posts. And then on my YouTube channel, I've got a mixture of men and women. So I might have to kind of change it up a little bit for that audience. And yeah, so I think that's what's, that's what's coming for me is, is next, is trying to revamp my blog and make sure that I'm, I'm doing all the proper SEO things. Because once you spend that time building, like your blog is, you know, it's, it's, it's an asset, it's an asset, especially yeah. when you've got advertisements on there. So it's passive. So so right now, you know, if if I just, if I were to take the next 30 days and say, okay, well, I'm just going to live off of whatever ad revenue, I could probably still bring in between my revenue from my blog and the revenue, the ad revenue from YouTube, I could probably still bring in, let's say $7,000, right? A mm-hmm. month from not having to do anything. So I think I need to look at that and say, look, Serena, you, you do have passive income that's coming in, you, you can stop and you can take a break and focus on working on your business and not feel like you have to continuously be a hamster on the wheel working in the business. Right but I think that's what's coming for me is to figure out how to just revamp my blog, maybe get back to some of the basics of blogging, but then also marry that with some of the newer things of Taking the old content, repurposing it with short form, getting uh, YouTube shorts, which I have not been participating too much in shorts, but getting some YouTube shorts up since that tends to be doing really well for creators right now. Right on. And yeah, and just trying to create uh, a routine. I think it's, it's sometimes I know for me, it's very hard to establish that routine. But once I establish it, I'm good to go. It's just a matter of establishing it and then making my holding myself accountable every single day or week. To do the same thing day in and day out
0: all right listen i could talk to you for another two hours
1: i know right
0: (laughs) this is this is actually the longest interview that i've had so far
1: i'm not surprised because i do love to talk (laughs) i should have warned you but
0: it's okay listen no i love it it's great i love it but uh but uh before i let you go um are you a star wars fan
1: I am not a star. What? Star. Oh, okay. No. How I fell about- asleep. The last one I saw was like with Jar Jar Binks, and I said, I'm never doing this again.
0: Oh man, listen, <laughs> when I see you, uh, I'm gonna have to give you like a I'm sorry for you honey hug, you know, because you're missing out. How about Game of Thrones?
1: Oh yes. Okay, yes. so Definitely before we Thrones. before
0: we part ways, I always like to ask just a random question. <laughs> and, mm. <laughs> so Game of Thrones, which house in Game of Thrones do you most identify with?
1: Um, winter. Was it was. Is it Winterfell? No. What's? Oh God. I can't, It's been so long since I've seen it. What's the, <laughs> one, what's the honest one with Arya Stark? Starks the, the Starks.
0: the Starks. Okay. Okay. So, so, so you were of House Stark.
1: I would say House Stark. Yeah, because I, I, I think I tend to be honest. I feel like they were just a little. At least the father was. The king. Right. 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 Got, right. Before he got murdered, I, I felt that he was kind of <laughs> honest. Yeah. So I tend to be a little too honest sometimes. I mean, probably I shouldn't
0: be. <laughs> Look, I think um, I would identify most with the Lannisters. I don't know why, but
1: really?
0: I, I, I like old man Lannister. I liked you him.
1: shady like that? They're shady people. Listen, I
0: like old man Lannister. Listen, he was shrewd. Like, you know, he he, he kept that family together single-handedly.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, hey, like, you know what? I think I'm ready to go back and rewatch that because I've got I've got a 16-year-old boy, well, all three boys, sixteen, thirteen, and eleven. And I feel like I mean, they've they've seen it all. I think for the eleven year old it'd be a little too much, but I feel it's like way the too 16, much. it is. <laughs> but I feel like for the sixteen and thirteen, I feel like I'm ready to maybe watch Game of Thrones with them.
0: Did you see House what of Dragons?
1: Did? I did. Oh, I love
0: that. That, I did was, see that, that. Was, that was a great spinoff. That was
1: good. It started off kind of slow though. It did. Like, the, fa- the first like couple of episodes, I'm thinking, I don't know what they're trying to do here. Like, I don't, I don't get but that what last
0: episode do. though. That last episode. Come on, man. The last episode. I don't
1: remember exactly what happened, but I know it, was it the got. the dragon that came really out on the floor. Oh yeah. yeah yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Yes. Well, if people want more information, or if they want to follow you, how can they do it?
1: So they can find me at Thrift Diving. So it's kind of like thrift store, thriftdiving.com. I also have a YouTube channel, Thrift Diving. They can come get some DIY inspiration. I'm definitely on Instagram, Thrift Diving. And you can find me on my podcast. I publish every Friday. I'm supposed to publish today, but I don't know what I'm talking about.
0: Look at you. <laughs>
1: maybe maybe I should have you come on mine so I can have an episode <laughs> for tonight.
0: Hey, I'm free. Listen, I'll do it. It's fine. <laughs> I got more to say. Hey.
1: Okay, well, then maybe we just continue this over on diving. Hey, I'm serious, Chad. Part
0: two, oh, loading. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. Listen, thank you, Serena. I love you to death. Um, I, th- I appreciate oh, you. I you appreciate too, our friendship. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again.
1: Yes, and seeing you in person soon.
0: Exactly. All yes. right, fam. That's it for us today. Come on back next week for another episode of Life, Love, and Hustle. Thank you for joining us today on Life, Love & Hustle. We appreciate you and your support more than you know. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone who could benefit from it. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook to continue the conversation and get exclusive access to even more content. We're grateful for your loyalty and we can't wait to see you hustle your way to success. We'll be here for you every step of the way.